Welcome in to another edition of Respect My Decision. I am your host, Zach Berry. Before I welcome in my guest, I do want to remind you once again that this podcast is sponsored by American Betting Experts, one of the largest licensed sports and casino vendors in the United States. We have teamed together here at Landry Football to provide special gaming offers to all of you, the followers and listeners of this here podcast and the rest of the podcast in the Landry Football Network. So here's what you do. You go to the website, LandryFootball.com, click on the ad in the upper right side of the page. And then after that, all you do is pick among the gaming sites that are legal in your state. So BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, PointsBet, you can, you can click them all, sign up, You'll instantly receive an account deposit match or a risk-free bet from $100 up to $1,000. That's it. It's that easy. So again, LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad in the upper right side of the page and get in on the action with this special offer from American Betting Experts. So without further ado, welcome in my guest, G. Allen Taylor of The Athletic, covering the Gators and all things SEC. Allen, welcome in. Thanks for joining Glad to be here, brother. Hope things are going well for y'all. Well, you know, can't complain. It's uh, it's Friday, and uh, the weather is starting to uh, to buck its head a little bit. It's uh, it's it's getting nice. I don't know. Uh, how about you? I don't know where you're located. Yeah, I'm in Gainesville, but uh, had lived in Chattanooga for a while, and then um, the last seven or eight years, I've been up just south of Pittsburgh, covering. Uh, the Big 12 in West Virginia. So uh, uh, it's good to be back in the South and, and actually seeing some sunshine in uh, the winter for a change. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's starting to, uh, I, I don't know, in Nashville, I feel like it's always, it gets nice and you're like, oh, here comes spring. And then uh, there's at least two, maybe three weeks where it gets cold again uh, before spring officially arrives. But uh, but yeah, I can't complain. Um so let's jump right into it. Uh, I think um, I-, I was really interested to uh, to bring you on here and kind of get your thoughts on uh, on the Gators and and Dan Mullen um, heading into twenty twenty one. Last season was um, I wouldn't say I don't want to call it a miss, um, but I think there were probably some some gator fans and and i guess just fans of the sec that that me included thought that uh florida would potentially um really compete and 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 really make a you know take that next step to the playoff um and they were pretty close to doing it got to the sec title game um lost a hell of a game against alabama who eventually won the national title but um just kind of the overarching theme of this episode do you kind of categorize last season as a miss for Dan Mullen and the Gators with what they had on the roster you know the the talent level at Alabama is a lot better and the talent level at Georgia is a lot better but Florida hit one of those seasons last year where you know, they had some old guys, you know, they were an old team with some fifth year seniors, including some guys that are going to be, you know, 60 year seniors uh, next year. So, uh, you know, I, I think that mitigated some of the talent differential because you had experience. And then you have a guy like Kyle Trask, who, you know, three or four years ago was completely anonymous. And he winds up being um, a guy who's going to be you know, drafted probably in the upper end of the of the NFL draft and has a Heisman like season. So, you know, you put all that together and, and yeah, it was a chance 
to do something special. And, and what compounds it more is sort of a flukish fumble at A&M uh, late in the game when Florida thinks it's getting in position for the game-winning field goal. I mean, the ball pops out, and suddenly A&M milks the last three minutes and gets the walk-off kick. So that was that was a tough one to lose. And then obviously the LSU deal, um, you know, you, you tie game, you've got them stopped on, on fourth down, and a guy just makes an inexplicable shoe toss that will go down in infamy, and and LSU wins the game on a 58-yard kick. And and you you, you reference the game you already talked about, um, you know, playing Alabama, given Alabama its toughest game of the year uh, in Atlanta, and so you know all three of those are just what if games, right? Um, and I think really to to your point about the playoff. <laughs> Had they won at uh, LSU or won against LSU and won at, at A&M, then that SEC game really would have been for seeding because uh, I think Alabama and Florida would have been in the, the college football playoff, much like Clemson and Notre Dame were. Uh, but once Florida lost those two regular season games, you know, that margin of error was gone. And then, you know, what happened out in the Cotton Bowl was was truly a no-show, uh, both figuratively and literally in some cases and Oklahoma just really laid the wood to them. So, you know, you go from a team that really thought it should have won 10 or 11 games to be an eight and four, and they got a three game losing streak to deal with over the, uh, the off season. And so that's where the uh, sort of the bitter taste comes in. Yeah. I think the, the one that always comes to mind for, for most Gator fans and I guess SEC fans alike was like you said, the, the shoe, hurl heard around the world but i guess a lot of people forget that early game against a&m you like you said a fluke fumble gives a&m a chance to to win that one um but they still had that shot to uh to at least make a case to get into the playoff if they were to win that sec title game but um i guess turning the page you mentioned kyle trask and and how good he was and heisman trophy finalist um you you lose kyle pitts you lose Kadarius tony all three guys that are going to be playing on Sundays I guess looking towards this season Emory Jones expected to be the guy at quarterback um, I guess offensively replacing that trio of, of playmakers that were just so electric for Dan Mullen in that offense um, what are they going to kind of piece around Emory Jones in 2021 to try to build off of the success that they had offensively <laughs> Well, Dan Mullen has a pretty good uh, pedigree of, of taking dual threat quarterbacks and and even guys who are pro style but can run a little and and obviously you know doing well with them. So I think going from Trask to Emory Jones from a uh, from a systemic or a p- philosophy standpoint won't be hard. I mean he's he's done and that's really where he's had his best success. Um, but you mentioned the pieces around him. Well, you got three offensive linemen back, including a couple of six-year guys, um, and and really, you know, five or six, seven guys who have played a little bit. So the offensive line, you know, I think is going to be okay. Um, you've got a lot of young, dynamic receivers. Because remember, this time last year, everyone wondered what Florida was going to do in the pass game because. Van Jefferson had gone. Uh, so had three other receivers to the NFL, and that's when Trevon Grimes, Kadarius Tony, really had his his only really good season at Florida was last year, and it was an incredible one. But but before then, he had been injured or just sort of uh, in and out of the the game plan. And so um, you know, there, there's young guys behind them, including Jacob Copeland, who is a top 100 recruit from I think now three years ago 
who uh, he, he seems to be ready to break out every year, and and he might get that opportunity now that some of the other guys ha- you know around him are gone. Um, but but it really it hinges on on what Emory can do. Um, you know, he was a guy who was committed to Ohio State, and Florida flipped him late when Mullen came over. So, you know, this is the guy who a lot of schools wanted, a lot of arm talent. He can obviously fly. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, will he will he manage the game well? Because he's going to make more plays out of the pocket than Kyle Trask ever did. He's going to make some really good downfield throws uh, as well. It's just a matter of when things get off platform and he's running and he's scrambling, you know, does he make good decisions on the flyer? Does he take some risk? And, uh, and I think, you know, when you're four years into the program, you, you have to feel pretty good about at least his grasp of the system. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be better at quarterback maybe than people think they will be with, with Trask leaving. And then the, the wild card in this whole situation is a guy who could be the most dynamic player on the offense, and that's Demarcus Bowman, who was a five-star running back, goes to Clemson last year, is in the mix, plays in the first two games as like a backup uh, as part of their committee, and then he transfers and and comes back to Florida. Uh, He's a Lakeland kid that Florida expected to get last year. They didn't. He went to Clemson and uh, had a very short stay there. Uh, The coaches up there at Clemson liked him a lot and, you know, thought – you know, he was going to be as good or better than Travis at the end. So um, he comes to Florida. The, the assumption is, of course, that everybody who transfers this year will be eligible to play. Um, so, uh, you know, he's working in spring practice and he could take a, a pretty average running back room with some veterans and make it above average really quickly. Because a lot of the seven, eight, nine yard runs that Florida had last year, if it's him carrying the ball, you know, that might have been 20, 30 or take it to the house. And we'll and we'll take that segue there and run with it. Um, you know, 2019, 2020, back to back top ten classes for for Dan Mullen in Florida. Uh, just wrapped up the eleventh ranked class in 2021. Uh, certainly building that quality depth that you need in the SEC and you need in the SEC East, competing with Georgia, who continues to recruit it at such a high level. I think uh, this 2021 class was was built uh, around defense. Corey Collier, Tyreek Sapp, Jason Marshall, Jeremiah Williams, um, all highly rated recruits. Uh, it, it seems that the offense is is never going to be an issue with Dan Mullen. Uh, he, he's always going to find a way. Uh, like you said, he does a, a, a fantastic job with dual threat guys and kind of molding them and putting the pieces together to uh, find a way to make it work, regardless of who it is. Um, But defensively, they recruited extremely well um, these last three classes. And I guess last season, you know, was potentially the year to take that step. Um, You get to Atlanta, you can't beat Alabama, but building off of these last two classes, are they, I think, or I guess, in your opinion, do you think that they're ready defensively to uh, to take that next step and to kind of avoid those those bumps in the road that they had against LSU and, and A&M this past year? Well, I think people expected the defense to backslide in 2020, but it was a prodigious, you know, backslide. Um, and really, you know, I'm not sure if any of the position groups feel good about the way they played, but... Uh, you know, I put a lot of the blame on the back end because you had three senior starters 
um, including a couple uh, who, who are probably going to be drafted in the NFL. Um, and really, at some point, you had four seniors in the mix, and they just didn't make plays. They weren't getting lined up correctly. Uh, uh, one of them was injured for the last uh, five or six games. So they didn't get any bang for the buck out of the seniors who were back there. Um so you, you've got some talented young guys behind them, including some true freshmen who played last year who, quite frankly, weren't ready. But, you know, I think long term, um, the, the back end and the safety group is going to be pretty good. Uh, you probably got a, a junior going out after this year in Kair Elam, uh, one of the cornerbacks. Um but, but really that safety group is, you know, every, every job is, is up for, for grabs there. And they're going to have to figure that out and, and, and get it done. I think they're more athletic than the group that just left. But, you know, we'll see if when, when up tempo offenses are, are, are hurrying everything up and you're trying to get the calls in and make sure the coverage is right and not have missed assignments. You know, that's where some of those years of experience come in. But again, <laughs> they didn't get enough out of that group last year anyway. So all that to say is I think they're getting more athletic on defense and, uh, you know, two of the three years that Grantham has been here as coordinator, they had, they really had good defenses last year was so bad that, um, you know, he gets dinged and everybody wants Dan Mullen to uh, scrap the whole staff and start over. But um, but we'll see. I, I think they bounce back this year. I think a guy like Ventral Miller in the middle as a fifth-year guy is, is going to be really good. I think Mahmoud Diabate beside him is like a converted uh, defensive end or outside linebacker who can do some things. And the Georgia transfer from last year, Brenton Cox, who did a pretty good job rushing the passer, but did nothing against the run and frequently over pursued and gave up the edge. I think you're going to see him be a little more disciplined and, uh, and a little more impactful coming off that edge as well. Um, you know, I don't know that they are a top 10 defense next year, like they were two years ago, but I think they certainly, edge their way back up to being a you know a top 35 top 30 defense that that doesn't have some of the, in, the embarrassing Saturdays that they endured last year so sticking on the uh, recruiting theme I, I was wanting to make sure that I that I asked this question because I, I do think it's something that um, has kind of shifted a little bit in the sunshine state but how big is the effect of Miami being more and more present um you know that that program was you know I, I hesitate to say dormant but they they weren't the same you that everyone was accustomed to you know to seeing you know I, you know growing up and and seeing you know those early 2000s teams that were just so dominant you know had 38 dudes drafted off of that national championship team and you know they they, they kind of slid down to you know mediocrity for a little while and and I think that Manny Diaz kind of has that program turned in the right direction? They've got a ton of momentum. Um, you've got Gus Malzahn down at UCF now. I, I still don't think that he's going to put too much of a dent in the in-state recruiting battles with Diaz and with Mullen. But you know, putting more focus on Miami, how big of a factor is that in in trying to keep those in-state guys in Gainesville um, with Miami being more improved now? Yeah, that's that's tough. You know, I mean, that's um, even when Miami wasn't good. I think they they owned 
they own that neck of the woods. And so it, it's tough. And you've always heard from recruiters that you have to deal with so much more drama with kids down there and, and maybe do more babysitting because until that, until that ink is dry, it, it's competitive as heck. Uh, the two kids you mentioned in the 2021 class from Palmetto high down there in Miami were huge gets. I mean, Jason Marshall is a five-star kid who might be starting next year. I mean, if he's not, he's definitely, I think, going to be the number three quarterback and will be starting at some point. Collier is a safety teammate of his at Miami Palmetto who uh, is physical and, and will play very early. Uh, he's a four-star in 24-7, but I think he's a five-star in a couple other other places. Uh, the thing is, they get those two kids, and, and quite frankly, there's probably 10 or 12 or 15 prospects down there that they would have wanted. So, you know, you have to sort of gauge – how much success, uh, you know, did they have? Uh, there are only two commits so far for 2022, are both from Miami Edison, uh, a defensive end, Francois Knowlton, who's a four-star guy, and another kid, uh, a wide receiver, Sevion Ellis, who is just outside the top 300, six-five uh, uh, kid who can run. So, you know, right, right there, they're they're getting some guys. They still have brand recognition down there. They're not closed out by any means, um, but they also have to figure out, you know, whether there's uh, more accessible talent uh, just north of there and up into Central and North Florida um, that maybe. Doesn't cause you so many headaches, I guess, or maybe you you feel better about early earlier in the process signing. But certainly, um, you know, with Miami winning some games again and and stabilizing, uh, that's going to make it tougher and tougher uh, for Florida, FSU, or any of these out of state schools to to pull guys out of Miami. Do you actually think that? And just kind of a follow up to that with, you know, all the jokes of, you know, Texas is back and and all of that, that, that they kind of write themselves. But do you think that Miami is potentially on the brink of, quote, getting back? You know, I don't know. I, I, they're not to the point to where they're going to start hanging up ACC championships. You know, I mean, that that's a top heavy league. Um Clemson and uh, that feels like it right now quite honestly you know because Notre Dame did a cameo in the league last year but then I guess they'll go back to playing their four or five conference games after after the COVID deal uh, FSU's down I mean you know if Miami's back they would they would be really giving Clemson a run for their money and and uh, you know getting things done there so I, I think they have have to take that next step um again that's why i use the word stabilize you know they're not free falling um it doesn't look like diaz is overmatched as a head coach which is the first thing you have to worry about when a when a coordinator ascends to a job like that just to see if he can handle it and i think in a lot of ways he can um but but in that league man when when you when you're talking about virginia and, and nc state right now as being your sort of uh, secondary teams and it, it's right for Miami to to assert itself and and, and that's got to be done and it's got to be done over a period of a couple of years not just uh, you know one good season here or there and yeah it's kind of funny we were discussing Miami and I mentioned UCF with Gus Melzahn kind of you know 
you know, drubbing up the fanfare of a former SEC coach going to a, a big group of five school. But, you know, we hadn't even talked about Florida State. And, you know, Mike Norvell had, a, you know, a little bit of a rocky start. Um, the Seminoles weren't very good. Uh, but they're still recruiting at a high level. They're currently top ten right now. Um, five-star Travis Hunter uh, is a early commit. Sam McCall from Lakeland. Um, they're kind of – they've sprinkled in some guys. Uh, quarterback Nico Martial from Arizona. Quincy McAdoo from Arkansas. But it's 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 mostly Florida guys right now in this 2022 class. And, you know, speaking of Miami being back, I mean, do you think that Mike Norvell is the right guy for the job there? And, and do you think that he can kind of elevate them back to competing for ACC titles? I mean, the program's too good, right? I mean, for them not to be competitive, it's it's sort of like Miami, um, you know, different cultural setup, but your access and both geographically and, and from a branding standpoint to talent is is really good and your your history and your legacy is really good. So, you know, I don't I don't foresee FSU or Miami staying down for long. Um you know, I, I, you know, Jimbo Fisher takes a lot of heat for what he left there, and I think to some degree they were certainly trending down when he made the jump out to College Station. But but I don't think he wrecked it by any means. Um, probably some issues with um, you know letting players run the team versus having enough discipline during the uh, the Jameis Winston era was it was was the start of the downfall, quite honestly. But um, I, I think they just need to need to string together a few good weeks and and let it build upon itself uh, uh, because you know that that program is too good to be winning five and six games uh, a year. Um, I think it's too good to do that in the SEC, much less the ACC, which again you've got you know several built-in wins every year on that schedule. So um, you know we'll see. I don't I don't know that it happens next year, but probably. You know, by 2023, after he's had two real years in that COVID year, which I don't, you know, is almost like a write-off for a lot of coaches, especially first-year guys. Uh, you know, we'll see if 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 he's the real deal and if he can get it turned around, or if he's just the bridge from bad times to a really top-notch coach coming in. That's he's sort of in that proving ground now. So last thing here, Alan, and again, thank you for your time. I appreciate you uh, hopping on, but I know you cover the SEC as well for The Athletic. Um, (laughs) The conversation starts and ends with Alabama. Um, But looking to 2021, um, we've touched on Florida. We've talked a little bit about Georgia. Who do you see potentially making any kind of noise in the SEC next season? And, And not just, you know, a potential... SEC champion other than Alabama, but is there anybody else that can either challenge them at all and kind of make things difficult for them in the regular season? Um, or is there, uh, is there any team out there that you're kind of looking to take that next step in, in 2021? Well, I think Georgia can, uh, you know, I picked Florida last year and I'm picking Georgia next year. Um, because I think the quarterback situation is a lot firmer for Georgia uh, going into next season, and they've got some other pieces around it that that makes sense. And, and again, if you look at recruiting, really Georgia and LSU are the only rosters that come anywhere close to Alabama. And and I'm not saying that Alabama is is ripe to fall or anything because of that last recruiting class they just put in, um, you know, se- several of whom have enrolled now. 
that that may go down as their best ever, which is, is saying something coming off this last group that just left. Um, but you got a new offensive quarter uh, coordinator. Uh, you've got a new quarterback, uh, Bryce Love, who you know obviously feels a ton of pressure, right? Um, but but hasn't hasn't made enough throws, hasn't played enough quite, you know, behind Mac Jones to 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 prove himself. So I, there's going to have to be some uh, some some tough Saturdays for him uh, going down you know, going down this, this year, LSU is a team I think that's really undervalued only because of how badly they fell off last year. Um, but the team they brought into the swamp, even with opt outs, uh, even with other guys, uh, leaving, they really just replaced guys with, with more guys. So I think they're, they're really, skilled and really fast and really good and i'm not the, the world's largest ed or drawn fan but um if he gets his coordinator situation stabilized this season you know i think lsu could jump right back up and and, and be really competitive again and i think florida texas a&m uh they're they're just a little bit behind that group and i think i said bryce love which i've done about 100 times bryce young quarterback <laughs> Alabama, uh, that, that's going to happen to me multiple times. Um, top quarterback in the country coming out two years ago, but uh, again, just didn't have to make a lot of throws uh, and, and really none under pressure situations last year uh, with Matt Jones there. And of course, he was being tutored by Sarkeesian, who's now at Texas. So we'll, we'll see what Bill O'Brien, what kind of relationship you know he, he builds and what kind of confidence the kid plays with next year. I mean, it's Alabama's to lose, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Georgia won the SEC next year. So that that, that kind of answers my, my final question um, with, with Kirby Smart potentially winning the conference. But, um, you know, another year and, and another offer for uh, Saban assistance. But uh, in the West, uh, last question, you know, Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin, two programs that appear to be, uh, you know, certainly on different levels. A&M, I think, is uh, on another tier. But um, both of those guys, former Saban assistants, do you think that that 2021, um, either one could potentially uh, challenge Alabama at all? Uh, not, not just for the West, but just in a regular season game. Well, A&M had its best team, you know, probably in a decade last year, and I think they lost by 28 at Tuscaloosa. So if if they didn't, <laughs> you know, if they didn't get it done then, then, then I'm not sure why this next year uh, would be. You know, that said, they've recruited really well at A&M. You know, I don't think that you're going to see them go back to their six and six, seven to five days anytime soon. I just, I just also don't think that they're 10, 11, or 12 wins good. Um, out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, Kiffin, such an interesting situation with him sort of re-energizing Ole Miss last year. And, you know, had he been two or three years into that stint in Oxford, you know, would he have been um, compelled or comfortable enough to to take the Tennessee job? You know, I, I think leaving Tennessee after one year for that USC job, which, let's be honest, that, that was – his dream job and, and you sort of give him a pass on that one but had he left Ole Miss after one year to go back to Tennessee then you know you gotta <laughs> you gotta ask yourself what the hell is he doing um uh, I, I think he's 
probably the, the most talented OC uh, in America, given the talent he's had to work with at places. Um, and of course, being a head coach, uh, he still he still <laughs> dabbles quite heavily in the offense. I mean, he's he's the guy making that call. So um, we'll see, man. He's he's such a marketer, you know. He's such a a personality that uh, I, I think you know he can he can make Ole Miss competitive to the point where they upset a team or two every year you know i don't know if we're ever going to get back to the point um where they were under freeze of actually you know being a third and 31 away from going to the sec championship um but uh, but that's really not what that program needs to aspire to either they need to be seven eight nine wins good a lot of years and um and and find that special blend that maybe every fifth or sixth year they they're in the running for it um and you know i know we all thought that uh mike leach had multiple opportunities to come down to the sec earlier maybe the tennessee job a few years ago um other jobs that, that have popped up but certainly what happened his first year at starville didn't inspire any confidence so we got to see if that was a one-off or if he's just too kooky to make it work down here <laughs> uh all right so uh alan i got one final bonus for you i think this is one of the more intriguing storylines heading into uh the spring and then into media days uh, i'm not sure if you have a vote but uh we're giving you one here on respect my decision who is going to be your first team all sec quarterback for 2021 let me roll through it real quickly um I mean, you look at the pieces. I mean, Bryce Song's going to have five-star receivers and five-star running backs and a great offensive line. So, you know, much like Mac Jones, he could come out of nowhere and win the darn thing. Um, but, it, but you know, I think you have to find somebody who's played it a little bit before. Um, man, two years ago, I would have said definitely by this year it would be the Knicks kid at Auburn. But with their coaching staff changes, you know, just who knows what yeah. that can do from Saturday to Saturday. So, I mean, probably, probably Daniels at Georgia as of right now. Um, but it's a wide open race. I could see whomever LSU's quarterback is. I could see that person doing it. I could also see, uh, you know, Matt uh, Matt Corral at Ole Miss, given the numbers he's probably going to put up again as being there. I mean, it's a wide open race, man. It's. Um, I'd probably say Daniels right now because I think you got to win some games to win that award, and and I'm not sure how many Ole Miss will win, but there might be six or seven guys uh, who could who could be the All SEC quarterback next year, which is kind of a crazy thing to to think about. All right, Alan. Well, uh, I appreciate the uh, the time. Uh, thanks for joining. Before I let you go. Uh, do want to make sure I give you the opportunity to uh, tell the listeners where they can find you on uh, on Twitter and, and where they can find your work. Yeah, um, entering year three uh, with the athletic um, down here in Gainesville. So, and on Twitter, it's G Allen A W L A N Taylor. So at G Allen Taylor. Um, like you say, a lot of Gators coverage, but a lot of SEC stuff too. Because um, in this conference, man, everything one school does. <laughs> immediately elicits uh, a reaction from everybody else right so um glad to talk to you man good to make your acquaintance 
All righty, that is Alan Taylor of The Athletic covering the SEC and Florida. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Respect My Decision. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to American Betting Experts for sponsoring the podcast. And, uh, Alan, thanks to you, man. Hope you uh, have a good weekend and uh, stay safe out there. Hey, we'll do, brother. We'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Thanks for tuning in. We out. <laughs>